good morrow evening day wherever you are um children um and welcome back to crow and fern's guide to weird fiction folklore and mythology and everything else i still don't know if i have that right let's pretend that i do read the title of the podcast it's easy (laughs) okay but not easy enough for me to remember (laughs) it's bad we're definitely in the beginning stages when we can't remember the name of our own can't remember i knew you know like it's fun to make it you know like long Mm -hmm. but at the same time i I never realized at the same time you have to remember remember. it's really difficult to remember um yes yes indeed yeah but it's okay to crow to Fern and Crow's guide. And I am Fern and, and she's Fern. And I'm Crow. Okay? <laughs> okay, that works. And today we're going to do the episode that I'm super excited and super terrified of because I don't feel like I will ever do um, this writer justice because he's my favorite horror writer of all time and no one's going to be surprised by who it is Mm -hmm. because I'm a basic bitch. Um, We're going to be talking about Junji Ito or Ito Junji depending on like... Yeah, she, shock, horror, yeah. So. Shock, stunned. I never saw this stunned. coming. <laughs> Speechless. I have never brought him up to Fern ever. She has no idea. <laughs> I'm so into him. Uh, um, yep. So yep. Definitely. We're be talking. And you know the thing about doing a podcast, like half a podcast on weird fiction, is that I'm into like horror you know, as a, as a, as a genre, but like weird fiction isn't uh-huh. horror. It's like a specific kind of horror. Um, and it upsets me because I'm like, I want to talk about all of the horror, like, you know, <laughs> attack on Titan and other kinds of horror. But like, you know, I can't because it's weird fiction. But the good thing about Junji Ito is that one of his main influences is one of the <laughs> fathers of weird fiction, HP Lovecraft. Um, so he also decided to write horror, like weird, um, horror. And that means I get to talk about it. Yep. So yeah, fasten your butts. Okay. And in fairness, folklore Mm -hmm. is weird horror sometimes as well. (laughs) Like if it was a Venn diagram, it would definitely cross at points. So it's, it's all in there a little bit. Folklore is like... It's like weird fiction before people put a name to the genre. That's what I feel folklore is it, like. You it know, definitely like, can be. Like, not all of it, but definitely yeah. some of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, and also medieval paintings are their own genre of weird fiction. I need to do an episode on medieval I paintings. I don't know so how much. well. 
Right. I don't know I how well that would translate memes, into the memes yeah. that have come out about <laughs> where they're like, guy, do you know how to draw a horse? A medieval uh, tra- guy. Oh, yeah, definitely. And then it's got like this really weird looking horse, and you're like, or like That's not a the horse. Cat- That's not a horse. <laughs> the cats with the human faces, or like the babies that look like 40 year old oh, yeah, men. Yeah. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, the medieval, tri- medieval drawings and stuff like that. Beautiful, like something else. beautiful. Yeah, they're their own genre, their own genre of um, weird fiction. That shit. So anyway, now we're going to be talking about yeah. Junji Ito, who is, um, if you're into horror, then you probably know about him already. He's a very, like. He's he has a cult following of horror fans. Uh, he's probably the biggest name in horror manga in Japan right now, or honestly in like um, horror comics everywhere, because literally you will see his name everywhere in the genre. Um, mm-hmm. Yep, yep. I, I, I caught like- it unexpectedly this week as well. We're just watching a <laughs> Wendy Goon episode, and all of a sudden he's like, "And I love Junji Ito," and I was like, "Fuck." And Wait, I no, love I'm Wendy Goon. Oh, so I was very happy to hear that. I was like, yes, two of the people I like. I know. You know, one of them, well, one of them is a fan of the other person that I like. So awesome. I hope he comes out with it. If he comes did out you, with an episode you catch on Junji Eat, I will be so happy. I, will I think fucking, he's going to. I think I he's know. going to, and it will be great. Um, it would be yeah, we'll definitely watch that if he comes out of it with it. Um, but did you catch my Sam and Max mix up where I called you my name? <laughs> Wait, what, what? I was like, Fern, wait, no, I'm Fern. Oh, again? This is the second time know, in the span know, of one week seven. that you've done this. But in, it, well, in fairness, this time it was because we're using aliases and I'm not used to them. Um, yeah. The other time was just because I was like so tired I was tasting colors. So that was my fault. Um, but no, like I, <laughs> I do actually love that. Sam, I mean Max. <laughs> I mean Max. Sam, I mean Max. I mean Crow, I, I mean Fern. <laughs> it's a, you can there call me some whatever. Salmon Max fans out whatever there who appreciate the reference, even if it was accidental in the beginning. Go ahead, yeah. go ahead with your Junji Ito. Which, what specifically are we going over from him today? Okay, so what we're going to be going over is, um, I'll tell you guys a teeny tiny bit about his life. There isn't much out there, surprisingly. Um, so we'll we'll talk a bit about that and I'm going to be quote unquote dissecting two of his stories. We're going to be looking into Army of One and Layers of Fear. So like because this is the our very first Junji Ito episodes, there will be more. Um I just decided to look at some of his shorter stories. We might later do Mm -hmm. an episode on one of because he has short story collections and he has some of his longer like you know cohesive books um Mm -hmm. like you know the story with the spirals that everyone keeps talking about and tomi tomai i've heard a billion pronunciations um and uh hellstar ramina which is like as close to cosmic horror as you will get with junji ito i think Oh, I'm going to jump right into it. Um, And who Junji Ito is. So, like I said, he is a renowned horror um, manga writer. Um, 
Uh, he was born on uh, the 31st of July, 1963, um, in the in the uh, Jifu Prefecture. Okay, so um, and like I said, there's not much about his life out there. The thing that will come up a lot when you try to look up Junji Ito biography is basically that in the small city that he lived in, like he lived out in, you know, in the countryside. Um, and there, um, this is a story that comes up a lot. His house, like in the house that he lived in, you had to go through this dark, creepy ass tunnel to get to the bathroom. So when he was a kid, he would always like start down the tunnel and then get freaked the fuck oh, out no. and then go and get one of his sisters to like accompany him. <laughs> to the bathroom wait um, wait why did he have to go through a tunnel to get to I the bathroom i'm confused i tried looking that up and like i do know mm-hmm. that in the countryside in some in some countries um the bathroom is like separate to the house like it's not part of the house so i guess maybe okay. that's i why. mean th- that makes sense but yeah and so, they're like we're gonna put it in the deepest darkest creepiest yes. tunnel to so discourage you from going to the bathroom in the middle of the night. Yes. <laughs> Which is not healthy. Um, keeping your poo-poo in, or like chronic constipation as in, can cause bowel cancer. And keeping your pee-pee in can lead to UTIs. So use the bathroom. Don't put the bathroom down a really dark and creepy hallway. Bad idea. And also there were spider crickets in that dark tunnel. And I did not know that spider crickets I were a I've thing. I seen pictures yeah. of those. Yeah. Aren't they the They're ones so with the like up. really long, creepy looking legs? Yes. Um, oh, God. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, I've, I've seen cave crickets as well. That was kind of an unexpected thing when yeah. I, I did so many stupid things as a kid, but like walking into a cave with no idea what was at the other end was unfortunately also one of those. <laughs> and oh, no. I didn't go in far, but I did find cave crickets and they were cool. Uh, they were cool? Dude, why every single freaking one of my friends is like, Crow, why are you so disgusted by like centipedes and these, I don't know, hell crickets and I don't, slugs and I, I actually like slugs, but like all of these creepy, oh, and the cockroaches that make the really loud noises that you can hear all the way from like Zimbabwe to the US. And I'm like, because I'm a normal human being. Yes, these things freak me out. I don't out. know, like no, I I don't want them crawling. Oh, all over. The, the, the rabbit thing, the rabbit thing still gets me. Like, what is a rabbit gonna do? They're cute. You're Most gonna, people think they're cute. You're gonna keep going back. What's to wrong the ra- with oh, you? I asked. Okay, I went out with a friend yesterday for dinner, uh-huh. and I was like, "Listen, listen, do hairs freak you out?" And she immediately said yes. So I am not crazy. I am like I felt validated. I was like tears came to my eyes. I was like, yes, someone <laughs> understands. <laughs> I'm not crazy. I think you've lived too much of your life in a high rise apartment away from the rest of the world. You need to come down to earth and experience nature. Like go touch all the grass. And well, I, I think... you know, it's not even the grass. It's like like the stuff away from the city that you need to touch, like trees. But not the vampire trees. I think trees, you shouldn't encourage trees. people to touch grass and dirt unless they're up to date on their Tdap vaccines. Fern, 
<laughs> anyway, and I also I mean, think you should stop don't get touching vaccinated. grass get and kidnapping baby birds. <laughs> that we'll tell you. I we'll did give not you kidnap context. a baby bird. Okay, she kidnapped so a baby I was like bird. Three or yes. four. I was like yes. three or four, and I found. Uh, my, I said, Mom, I want a baby bird. I want a bird. And she was like, if you can catch one, you can have one. And I yes. went outside and I found a baby who had fallen out of its nest. And I came back in with it. And she was like, oh, that's not what I meant. You don't get to keep that one. And I was lied to as a child. <laughs> so that is that is um, part of Fern's um, weird fiction child- childhood. She did not get to keep My the childhood bird. does read like weird fiction. My childhood really is weird fiction. Complete with the characters that, you know, just don't react to the weird shit that's happening in their lives. I'm sorry. Also true. We should, you know what? We should have left okay. that story Let, for like, a, as, a, as a palate cleanser. I don't know how much of this intro I'm going to cut out. We're chaotic today. I don't, uh, I, we, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if I'm the chaotic one. <laughs> oh my god. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. You know I'm what? kidding. You know I have to tease you. <laughs> okay. No, it's okay. It's okay. Um, okay, so we are going to jump right into things now. So that's all I have about his life and that he grew up with two sisters who used to read him the works of Kazu Umezu. I'm really sorry if I'm mispronouncing the name. I tried to look up pronunciations and I'm still butch- butchering them. Um, so um, he is another um, horror manga writer, like one of the you know very, very well-known um, writers in the uh, Japanese horror genre. So... Um, Ito was a big fan of his works, and in some sources it said that his sisters used to read him works by um, Umezu, and in other sources it says that he, like, you know, his sisters would just, like, buy the manga, and then, you know, Junji would, like, Junji Ito would just, you know, pick them up and read them. And he says that his journey into horror started from the age of five, which, same, my guy, same. Um, Anyway... Uh, so for this episode, I rely on two main sources. There is um, Urusawa Naoki's um, Manben manga documentary, where what he, it's a really cool documentary. I would recommend you check it out. You can get all of the DVDs on Amazon. Basically, what he does. Um, so Urusawa Naoki is the um, he's a, another manga artist, and he is uh, most well known for. Guess what? Can you guess? Can you guess? It's another manga that I'm super into. It's not Attack on Titan. Attack on Titan. Oh, it's not Attack on Titan. I don't know then. <laughs> um, so um, he's a manga artist and writer behind 20th Century Boys, Pluto, and Monster. Monster is one of my favorite series. It's very um, slow, but I love it. Yeah, yeah. I still need it's, to watch that. Yeah. I haven't watched it's set that. It's in Germany, and there are doctors in it, so a lot of medical shit. Um, Sad, mm-hmm. sad, bitter doctors questioning their own morality. So I feel that. Yeah. What he does is that he interviews <laughs> different artists and writers um, and they set up cameras. I just uh, think it's com- funny you always have these cameras. like cameras. <laughs> you just <laughs> cameras. <laughs> I just think it's funny that you always have like questionable doctors pop up in your stuff. <laughs> is there something you want to confess, Dr. Crow? No. Is there Dr. No. Crow? <laughs> no, te- te- not yet. 
not yet. I'm very early into my medical career, so who knows what the future holds. Anyway, so um, basically, uh, um, Urasawa would and his team would set up cameras um, in the writers and artists like uh, manga studios, and they would record them over a period of like three to four days to get an idea about their um, creative process and their art, their work, stuff like that. So he had an episode with Junji Ito. And then um, after they recorded him for four days, they decided to meet up at a cat cafe, which was the most adorable thing ever. Nice. To, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to look over the footage. Love it. <laughs> right um and basically and it would basically be an interview with ito while they're reviewing the, the footage so it was really cool that's one of my main sources um it's the most in-depth look into ito's like um creative process mainly his work process so for the aspiring artists out there i would say give it a watch because you can look into the tools that he uses um how long it takes him per panel because he's a you know he he confesses to being incredibly slow um, on his work, his inking process, that would all be of that me. fun stuff. Yeah, <laughs> so I'm slow. Um, and, yeah, like Urasawa makes fun of him a lot throughout it. He's like, "You're so slow. You're like the slowest person we've had on here." Oh, <laughs> just like, and Ito's so like just just I don't know. Like he just he strikes you as despite the horrific stories that he writes, he's just so mild mannered and nerdy and just like reserved and quiet. So it, it was just the most adorable thing. So anyway, um, and the other the other source that I used was Tail Foundry. Um, that's a channel on YouTube that dissects a lot of different um, genres, I would say. Um, so they do, uh, it, it's like, it's supposed to be a robot and the robot kind of dissects human um, like pieces of literature and it's really cool. So I think they've done like three plus episodes on Junji Ito alone. And um, so that's for the writers and not just the artists because it gives you a glimpse into how to write horror um, and the psychology of horror. It's just, it's really cool. Anyway, jumping into it. Um, the first story we're going to look into is the story that they also dissect in the documentary, like Urasawa's documentary, Layers of Fear. Ooh. The story starts out at an archaeological dig, and we see a bunch of geologists that are studying a pattern that was left in the layers of rock. Um, and the patterns apparently resemble the uh, like the shape of a head staring up, right? So imagine that you're lying on the floor and you're staring up and the silhouette mm -hmm. that your form would make, you know? So that's what the um, the pattern on the like on the rocky walls makes so they're studying that and they're so enamored with it which is like oh you know have you noticed this pattern and everyone's like yeah it's so and then there's a geologist who literally like he just observed like he observes it and he's like oh cool maybe we should dig deeper and then they dig deeper and guess what they find more pattern yeah, they find the pattern and it gets smaller and smaller and smaller. It shrinks the way the layers of a have you ever like, you know, seen the layers of a tree like tree bark when you, um, mm -hmm. you know, when you get you like a rings. horizontal cross section. The yeah, the layers are rings yeah. in trees and you can use them to tell how old the tree is. 
mm-hmm. something similar to that. So it's like layers and layers and layers of a silhouette resembling a human form lying on the floor, staring face up. At the very core of it, they notice a skull, and it looks like a small skull, like that of a child. So, okay, children, no. I want everyone to tell me what do we do when we're at an archaeological dig and we find human remains? I mean, don't you? I, do they have to call the police to verify the, the age or can they verify the age themselves? It just says that they look at the skull and they can tell from its size that it looks like the skull of a child. Okay, but that doesn't really answer my question because if it's recent remains, they need the police to like come take them away. Whereas if it's older, they get to deal with them themselves, you know, which as is actually a pretty good but, point. I didn't think of that when I because I was just I'm marveling at the stupidity of them being geologists and archaeologists. I know those are different things, by the way. They have both. So I was just thinking, yes, leave them the fuck alone. Why? Because every oh, single time oh. we touch things from like ancient times, we get cursed. We get people knocking on our doors and telling us to return the slab or suffer our curse. That's a Courage the Cowardly Dog reference. Fern doesn't know because she's never watched Courage the Cowardly Dog. Oh, I Dog. didn't know. No, we didn't have cool cable when I was a kid. My dad yeah. thought it was evil, so we didn't get cable. And it was. No, I was if just we're thinking, talking about though, courage, it's evil. <laughs> it was evil. <laughs> No, I was just thinking, though, like, if you wanted to, like, have the perfect place to hide, like, Mm. say you were an evil murderer and you Mm. wanted to get away with it, if you, like, managed to age the remains and then hide them on an archaeological dig, archaeological dig, um, what are the chances, do you think, of the the archaeologist finding them and thinking, like, oh, this is, like, a... 2000 year old um, skeleton and we can just stick it in the um, museum and meanwhile it's like Susie from down the street from like two weeks ago I don't know probably longer than that but like maybe you get away with it you know what this is not meant to be instructive don't get ideas please it sounded very like I was just gonna be like thanks for the idea like why fam no one use don't, this as an idea and no this. one get murdered and don't sue do us. This. I'm sorry. Why do I get these ideas? Why am I cursed Why? with brilliance? Exactly. Why why are you doing this? Um I don't know. I think I don't I don't know how these work. I would need to like I would need to do some research on it. But there are like forensic anthropologists and forensic archaeologists who would be able to tell how old these remains are. And I feel like before just taking sure. these remains and stuffing them in a museum, they would study them to figure out how old they are. Because like even even if you don't think that, you know, these are rec- recent remains or something. But also, dude, wouldn't... I don't think old-timey remains like from 10 bazillion years ago would, you know, remain... <laughs> Like all that time. I mean, it, it, if they get Wouldn't, mummified, you know, that's yeah, that's kind of the thing. If they get mummified, for sure, I, it, they would look old. But yeah, and, the, and but, the, I think this is where my mind was going is like if you have like basically the conditions for mummification um, for an old body versus like a newer body, um, how would you 
be able to distinguish the difference and at what point do you call the police, you know? They must have some kind of procedure. Yeah, if there are any archaeologists out there, please let us know because I have now made myself curious about it. (laughs) I'm also very curious. Like, I'm trying to read up online and apparently it says, obviously, it depends on the climate because it usually requires three weeks to several years for a body to completely decompose into a skeleton. And then they say, oh, oh, apparently it could take thousands of years depending on the climate. So I guess, yeah, I guess we could find. It depends on the conditions, you know, on the conditions. Yeah. And the animals that would like pick it apart and. Nom nom. Anyway, the point is, they find a skull. They decide, oh man, cool. Like, why is there a skull, and why is it surrounded by these silhouettes? So they come up with a very logical um, uh, explanation for it, and they're like, maybe it was part of some kind of religious ritual where the body, uh, let's say, the body of a, an infant or a child, was covered with layers and layers of clay, um, and that's what like resulted an onion. in. It has layers. Like an onion. Onions have layers. Yes. So maybe that's why. And, you know, it makes sense. And that's actually um, something that Junji Ito talks about a lot during the documentary because they actually take a look at his work process throughout this um, story. He says that whenever he comes up with really weird and shocking ideas, he still wants them to be believable enough for people to start to question you know, what if something like this mm-hmm. actually happens in real life? He doesn't yeah. come up with things that are so yeah. bizarre. And sometimes some of his stories are incredibly bizarre, you know, but he always tries to execute them in a way that makes you believe that it could happen, you know, somewhere out there. We don't know everything. And I'll give you more examples of it as we progress through the story. So that was number one, is that he gives you a logical explanation that, yeah, maybe they were just layers of clay. Um, the The archaeologists are dumbasses and they decide to take the skull with them. Um, we skip from 1996 to 2017, and uh, the scene here is of three women in a car. Um, and the three women are, there's uh, Raimi, the youngest daughter, her mom, and then they have the, um, the older sister. We have Raimi, the youngest sister, we have Narumi, the older sister, and we have the nameless mom. And these are, like, the mom is the wife of the um, geologist that we saw at the beginning of the story, and um, Raimi and Narumi are his daughters, okay? So, while they're driving, basically, we notice that the mom dotes on Raimi, the younger daughter, she's she's 20, Um, and, you know, she's always like she keeps complimenting the way that she looks and complimenting how she's shy and we get a glimpse into Raimi's life like when she was younger she um used to like star in not television shows I want to say like tv ads because she was a super cute kid but then she stopped doing them because it was too much pressure and she was too shy and despite being super pretty as per her mom she didn't want she didn't want to handle that kind of pressure anymore um and then she said that you know all she wanted to do was to be a normal kid and have her mother dote on her and then her mother suddenly gets like super flustered and is like oh my god I didn't know that you felt that way if I'd known that you felt that way I never would have made you do those ads and I love you so much and I would have doted on you 24 7 and blah blah um and you know like it's just super fucking dramatic and just like 
unnecessary. And you can tell that they didn't re- they didn't really care about the older daughter as much to the point where the older daughter is like, yeah, you know, sometimes I wish that you didn't star in those, you know, ads or TV programs or whatever, because maybe then mom would have given me some attention, too, because literally they spent all of their money and like my mom put all of her money and attention on you and I didn't even get proper proper freaking dental care. Um, and the well, mom that sucks. Yep. And the mom basically give your kids dental yeah. care. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and this chick needs dental care. We will we will talk oh, no. about why. Yes. Oh no. Um, so the mom gets you know really pissy about it as narcissists do when you question their devotion to their golden children, and is just like you know why the fuck would I give you any attention or like b- basic fucking child care you know because yeah. at least your sister why would had... i help you you need dental care like look at your teeth why would <laughs> i help you teeth. no you know it's because she says literally she's like of course i'd invest in your sister she was a tv personality you know like she had really good future prospects there's nothing i can do for you like the older daughter she literally tells her you were too ugly <laughs> she's like this is the one that was gonna pay for my retirement when i get old i don't really have a lot of confidence that you would you know (laughs) you're too ugly so anyway narumi gets distracted and like she's the one driving by the way so she turns to yell at her mom Mm -hmm. and obviously she doesn't notice a a truck that's about to crash into them and then you know like raimi's like bitch the truck so um the car swivers off the road and they hit a tree um when everyone comes to it it looks like a stop sign has sort of slashed through the window and hit Raimi in the face and has taken off like a chunk of her face like literally half of her face is gone um so yeah Raimi is the pretty one right Raimi's the the pretty one the one that we all love the most Exactly. So like <laughs> okay. a chunk of her face has been slashed off and is hanging from the corner of the fucking stop uh, sign. It's a gross. very harrowing scene. Um, mm-hmm. So before going into that, um, there is something that you would notice. Like I just wanted to draw people's attention to this aspect of Jinji Ito's art is that he puts a lot of attention into making his characters look really pretty and in the documentary in the urasawa documentary um like they kept pointing out that oh you know you make your heroines look so pretty and it's all about the you know feminine beauty and they keep harping on eroticism even though ito is just like like he doesn't comment he doesn't seem to comment like he comments on yeah you know i give my female characters attention and uh, he comments on how he draws the lashes like he draws them very dense and it's a lot more realistic than usual manga so um he comments Uh on why he beautifies his character and one of the main reasons is contrast because he says when i make my main characters beautiful and he actually does this with his male and female characters everyone looks like a doll and kind of suffers from Mm -hmm. like sometimes suffers from like same face syndrome um but they're very pretty yeah they're very pretty they're very alluring um and the reason he does that is because he wants to make the monsters stand out you know the more horrific aspects Mm -hmm. stand out more when everyone else looks very aesthetically pleasing um and and you can actually see that and it doesn't just apply to his characters it applies to his characters to his background to his architecture everything seems normal so the abnormal 
slaps you in the fucking face. <laughs> the abnormal is mm-hmm. so much more attractive because everything else, you know, the beauty sort of melts into the background. And the reason I bring this up is because even though we're looking at a scene where the character's face has been slashed off, the face that's left hanging from the stop sign is really pretty. So, like, he takes care to draw out the details and, like, you know, maintain the hair and the lashes and the way that, you know, the light captures the highlights in the character's eye. Um, and you see that throughout the book. I'll bring it up again when we go to a different Wait, her um, eye is hanging from the step sign? Yes. It's like one, corner, oh, one, one quarter of the face. So it's like all oh, the way goodness. from, yeah, the middle of her forehead, you know, right next to her nose, sort of, like not like you can't see the nose but like next to her nose and then a bit of the cheek and it's just like hanging from the stop sign it's like a the layer of her face is hanging from the stop sign well that's traumatic it's very traumatic and we don't get to see her face we just see what's been taken off and what's hanging we skip then mm-hmm. to the hospital and the mom is wailing and the first thing she says is like, oh, Raimi's pretty face, her face. And she's blaming Narumi and she's like, it's all of your fault. And they're like, oh, sorry, all of it is your fault. And obviously Narumi's in tears because she's blaming herself and whatever. Then the doctor comes mm-hmm. out um, and he's like, there's something really fucking weird going on. And this is when we get etofied. Everyone goes into the room to check on Raimi. Um, And for the first time, her face, like her actual face, is revealed, not the part that was taken off. And it's revealed to us that what, like, underneath what was taken off, what would you expect to see if someone's skin was taken off? I mean, pretty gruesome, like, skull and flesh and all of that. Exactly. But that's not what we see. Is she, like... Is it just like her normal pretty face? Is is it like when a snake sheds its skin? Yes. Yes, exactly. That's exactly it. And it looks like there are several different layers. So uh, along the edges of the wound, you can just see that there's like layer under layer under layer and then a sort of more youthful looking face underneath. So everyone is weirded out and are like, literally, what the fuck? There's no blood. There's no bone. There's no muscle. There's nothing. It's a normal face. Um, and Raimi is knocked out cold at this point. Um, so as well, they're making I their observations, like, she... Yeah. This th- I figure this is like, they're going to find out she's really like 2,000 years old. And they're like, you thought she was a kid, but she's a 2,000-year-old Lolita! Because it's that's a good you know. guess. Like it's close. You're close, but not quite. Not quite. No, it's a lot All more right. horrific right. than that, unfortunately, because it's Jinji Ito we're talking about. Um, so you know, the mom basically and not begs like traditional the anime. Exactly. Uh, the mom begs the doctor to fix her, and the doctor's like, "Okay, you know what? First things first. Let's get let's let's do an MRI." Which like. I'm not sure why he picked MRI, but okay. yeah, let's do an MRI. They do an MRI, and what they see is there's no skull, there's no organs, there's no brain, there's nothing. Her body is composed of layers. You know the silhouette that I talked about, and at the very base there would be a skull? There is no skull in this case. It's just uh-huh. layers. Her body's just layers and layers and layers. The silhouette that I talked about of your body just like stacked atop Mm -hmm. each other um and like with a core at the very center um so yeah 
like the do- the doctor says that there's literally um, there are stacked layers. There's the outer skin that has been stacked multiple times, and he can't see any organs, bones, brain, anything a normal human should have. So obviously the mom is shocked, Narumi is shocked. Everyone is like, literally, what the fuck? Um, the mom compares her mm-hmm. to uh, Baumkuchen, like a type of um, German dessert. Um, so and like she starts laughing hysterically, whereas the doctor is like. Um, maybe, but actually, I'm going to make a very scientific comparison here because I'm a doctor. I went to medical school, you guys. Um, he compares it to the rings of a tree or the ridges of a shell. Honestly, I feel like the reason the doctor made this comparison was because, like, Junji Ito was so proud of this concept and he kept bringing it up during the documentary. And he has a right to because I thought it was a really cool concept, like... I just, it is interesting, I don't know, I don't yeah. Know. It's definitely. really interesting. I don't know how he comes up with his ideas. Like, And what people have asked him multiple times, like, dude, where the fuck do you get your fucked up ideas from? And he's just like, well, you know, I just think ordinary th- things freak people out. And, you know, yeah, that's what I'm interested in, turning ordinary things into weird things. And I'm just like, but that doesn't explain anything. How do you think of these things? How do you I mean, look at trees? Wrong, and you're though. like, right? It's just, not wrong. Yeah. <laughs> not yeah. I mean, like yeah, fair. Um, and it's the ordinary well, no, that I, actually like, it freaks goes back us out. To, yeah. Um, so anyway, well, well no, it's yeah. what, okay. Oh no, sorry, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I was just saying, like, it's what you were. <laughs> no, it's just what you were saying, like where he he tries to keep it like so it's not so unbelievable because like once it gets unbelievable i think your like suspension of disbelief automatically shuts off and you're like okay whatever you know like this could never happen but if you keep it realistic enough then you're like oh it's still scary (laughs) exactly exactly and 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 he goes back to that by the way um so the doctor assumes that you can use these layers to tell how old um the daughter is and basically he starts counting and you know you can tell that she's 20 years old um it, from from the layers everyone wait, is he shocked got a and full terrified. cross section because um, like it's through oh, the oh, mri wait, no no he got it from the mri okay yeah he, i was he like what did he MRI. cut her in half okay that makes yeah. more sense no no no, no. They didn't, they didn't. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't King Solomon her. No, not yet. Um, so they just, yeah, they oh, did no. the MRI. Um, so anyway, the doctor is like, yeah, you know what? I want to admit her and I want to continue to study her. And the mom is like, no, no, you're not going to do that. My daughter is not a freak. And I don't want literally everyone in the universe to figure out that my daughter is some kind of circus freak. Pack her up and send her home. The doctor is mortified for a good reason because, you know, you're not really supposed to discharge mm-hmm. a patient in that state. I don't know what the fuck I would do if I ever got a Junji Ito character at, like, the hospital <laughs> or the clinic that I work at. I don't know, like, how do I even react to this? Do I get their autograph? I don't call know. Call the but SCP. Anyway, call, yes. Call yes, the SCP. I keep forgetting. <laughs> Call the SCP. They will take care of this and erase my memories so I don't have to live through the trauma. Anyway, the mom tells the doctor, please don't tell anyone of, you know, what you observed, what you saw. The doctor is left speechless. But I guess he's technically bound by, um, you know, the. I mean, technically, Raimi didn't say that he can't disclose anything. But I guess he has to do what the mom it depends on the country that you're living in. And I mean, HIPAA is still a that thing. Kind of stuff. It, it depends. Like, the rules change a lot depending on where you are. Yeah, no, that's true. Anyway, um, 
the mom and the daughter just tell him to take care of Raimi's face, like try to reconstruct it. And obviously he fails at doing that. While they're waiting for him to fail, they sit outside the hospital, just basically in silence. And then Narumi says that I know why this is happening. Um, she says that she thinks it's a curse. She thinks that when her dad discovered the skull and took it fucking home, the entire family was cursed. And the dad's mental state deteriorated and deteriorated, and then um, he passed away um, nine years after uncovering, like, the tomb. And um, then the curse, like, the curse affected Narumi, and the curse also affected um, Raimi. Um, Raimi was okay, born wait, how um, old a was year. Raimi, Raimi oh, was born, was a, born year a year after. after. A year after the skull was discovered. Yeah. Um, and nine years after that, the dad passed away. Nine years after discovering the skull. So basically, Narumi says that she was also affected by the curse. And how she was affected, she opens her mouth and we see that the roof of her mouth is lined by layers and layers and layers of teeth. And it is fucking disgusting and terrifying. Um, and like a shark. They, hmm? I said, like a shark. Yes. How they have the layers and layers kind of. of teeth, and then like yes. they just drop them off and pop in new ones. Yeah, but like, like the layers of teeth are actually like visible when she opens her mouth. They line the roof of her mouth. Nice. I think with sharks, it's more like it's, um, like when the tooth, if the tooth breaks off and falls off, then a new one comes up and replaces it, right? I I thought like I thought you could see it, but like they're they're all in rows, and then it just kind of pushes it forward. I know they have mm-hmm. more rows of teeth than humans do, but I don't. I may, maybe yeah. Let's say let's say it's like a shark. But um, that was one of the panels that uh, they actually showed us um, the work in progress behind during the documentary. Um, and Junji Ito used to work as a dental technician before he got into um, drawing manga full time, and that's why he said that he can draw teeth pretty accurately. Um, but the really interesting thing about him is that he always has a um, like an anatomy book right next to him. I. Th- thought mm-hmm. I recognized one of the anatomy books as um, like it was a book that we actually used to study from in medical school, like Rohan's um, Color Atlas of Anatomy. Um, it gives you actual uh, like it has pictures of actual cadavers. Most anatomy atlases are illustrations, um, but this one is like actual cross sections, actual cadavers, um, which would you know help you in anatomy class. He uses that to basically get into body horror as accurately as possible he draws lines to capture the curvature of the mouth um and line the teeth accordingly like the whole person i feel like artists would know this better than you know i do um it's just perspective so all of the teeth um are lined accurately and he says he's like he thought about it and he's like how can i make this as realistic as possible so he wants the teeth to line the mouth in the shape of rings but he doesn't just want to wing it and just like oh you know there's rings of teeth he wanted to make it structurally accurate um and it's it like the end result is really fucking creepy (laughs) yeah it's like it just 
it's it's something else, my guys. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. I'll trust you. But no, I just checked. And sharks, mm. you can actually see multiple um, rows of teeth. Uh, and then, okay. like, that way when one pops out, because, you know, like, mm. they do the vicious biting, it, the next one can just, like, move in real quick. Oh. Interesting. Um, so, yeah. Now we know. So, yeah. Basically, Narumi is a shark. That's that's what she is, uh, and that's why she. That's nice. why I brought up that dental work was really important. It took him about well, two hours. Hmm? So well, um, I guess that would make it. Is, is she gonna like start hunting people though? <laughs> like, no. is she gonna use the teeth? No, no, not not. What's the actually, point? It's it's. Listen, <laughs> she just wanted dental care. That's literally all she wanted. She doesn't want to hunt people. She's too ugly for that. We've established this. So Well, I I don't know. I mean She's not Ted Bundy. It's worked for sharks. Well I, sharks are pretty. That's good. Sharks are cool. Sharks are There are yeah. some weird looking sharks. You know, like you may look at a great white and think like that's a sleek killing machine and it looks pretty cool. But then, then you look like, at the goblin shark. What are they? Like the basking sharks or the yeah, the, the goblin sharks. So there are some that, that look a little wild. Yeah. <laughs> have you seen cookie cutter sharks? So fucking cool. I have. So, have yeah. No, I like have. They're like tiny little incisions, so accurate. It's like just just uh, that's that's a sound that I imagine um, they emit when they bite someone. I mean, it'd be better to be bitten by like a cookie cutter shark than a tiger shark. No question. But fair does kind of suck either way. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Narumi, the tiger shark, shows us her teeth. And apparently it took Junji Ito two hours to get from sketching that single panel. We're not talking about a page. We're talking about a panel like, you know, of the mm -hmm. let's say the manga. Um, from sketching to inking. Um, and they comment on it in the documentary. They're like, he's incredibly slow um, in the way that he shades things with these very precise um, lines. So before, in his mm -hmm. earlier, earlier um, um, manga, he used to, you know, the way that he shades is just by splotches of shadow, just like splotches of black. Um, and he, and um, they comment on it in the documentary that they haven't noticed that um he does something he does this anymore now what he prefers to do is um just use the tiny little screech screeches to create the shadow and i think that's just a lot more aesthetically pleasing um mm -hmm. drawing finer lines filling in smaller specific areas when shading and he comments on um it's again it has to do with contrast like um, what when he's working on his art, like they're the brighter areas and the darker areas. And there's a more like visually pleasing transition from like from an art perspective. I'm not an artist, so I don't like I never noticed these things. Like I would notice these things. I would notice that his work was really, really pretty and pleasing to look at, but I wouldn't understand why. So when they take you through why he does it, it makes a lot more sense. So. Yeah. Um, anyway, well, we move. I mean, yeah, he, go ahead. No, he it's just someone who wants to do like like a perfectionist. And I, I get mm. that. <laughs> yeah, he is, though. 
Um, and mm-hmm. he's like, you can actually see the setup of his studio. He has like a bunch of different uh, pens that he uses. And he says that most of these pens, he's tweaked them so that he gets a more comfortable grip. Um, and he even like has, so he grabs his pen and then he has, do you know what a putty eraser is? I know I've heard that term, but I can't remember off the top of my head. So like putty erasers, um, uh, like they're, they're called, uh, putty erasers or kneaded erasers. Uh, they look, they basically look like lumps. I do know. You do know what those are. They look like lumps of clay. They last a lot longer than other erasers. They don't wear, they don't leave any residue. Um, So a lot, like my mom is an artist and she uses, she uses those. What Junji Ito does is that he attaches one to his finger. I think it was his middle finger and he grips his pen between his thumb and his index finger. So he doesn't have to keep reaching for the eraser. He just like attaches this to his middle finger and goes screechy screech when he needs to. Um, and the way that he holds his nice. pen, they comment on it being different because most artists tend to put their index finger on top of the pen. He says, and this was a really funny part. He was like, you know, I think it's about bone structure. I think the way my bone structure is, um, I have really long fingers. So like my index finger and my thumb keep getting in the way. I wish I could just like, you know, like chop off part of my (laughs) index finger. And um, Urasawa's like, well, you were so casual when you said that, that, oh, this is getting in the way. Maybe I should chop it off. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it was really funny. Um, so, yeah. So, he has a very particular way of drawing. Um, and he does everything himself. From the sketching to the line work to the editing on Photoshop. He does everything. He says that mm-hmm. the, their neighbors are acquaintances of his wife. And sometimes they help with the final finishing touches. But he does everything else. He's a perfectionist. And that's beautiful. He takes up to seven hours on one of the pages at some at one point during the documentary. It was like a sight to behold. Um, wow. Anyway, Raimi's back home. She's resting and they're hoping that, you know, her skin is going to heal and grow back into what um, it used to be. Spoiler, it doesn't. Um, what Narumi's saying is like maybe we should focus on breaking the curse and maybe if we bury the skull that our dad like the idiot that he is took out of the burial site maybe if we rebury it and we hold a memorial uh, surface service the curse will be broken Um, and the mom tells Mm -hmm. her to shut the fuck up because she's too busy doting over her dumbass daughter at this point Raimi is sick of it she screams at her mom she tells her that she's not a child anymore and she's you know she's very worried about her face because this isn't something that modern medicine can heal and she believes what narumi is saying that this is a curse and they should focus on breaking the curse um the mom mm-hmm. doesn't listen to her and keeps being like no, no no i can fix it i can fix it you don't need the doctor you don't need to like work on the curse um and Raimi gets incredibly angry and tells her mom that basically the accident was your fault the curse is your fault everything is your fault and you know mm-hmm. narcissists don't handle rejection too well um no it, yep and then things start getting weird um the mom goes to check on Raimi in the middle of the night again she keeps doting on her and tells her that 
she's going to fix things and she wishes that she could talk to the two-year-old Raimi and she starts addressing Ray like two-year-old Raimi through the daughter's adult form basically yeah it's really fucking creepy you know like can you hear me and why won't you reply and she's crying because she's so sad that her two-year-old Raimi which she knows is still in there isn't replying to her and then two-year-old Raimi replies the layer is i do i knew it because the layer is <laughs> the still layers. in there the layer yes. that was two-year-old exactly <laughs> two-year-old Ramey's like mama i want you to carry me can you free me of this like it, t- it takes several panels but basically the point is that can you free me of this form and carry me um and the mom is incredibly happy because it's her two-year-old baby who used to love her and not blame her for causing harrowing accidents so what does the mom decide to do oh no cut out the two-year-old she's gonna cut away everything but the two-year-old yes that's what she decides to do and then for the squeamish out there maybe you'd want to like stop here because we're gonna get into some intense body horror um yeah, she basically starts peeling her daughter like an onion. Yeah, so she's just like I peeling knew the away. Onion thing was gonna come back. Yes, <laughs> the onion. Um, and there is blood, and there is gore, and everything is incredibly uncomfortable. And what the fuck? But Raimi's isn't in pain. Raimi's just asking her mom to please hurry up and let her out. And you know, two-year-old Raimi wants her mama to carry her. Um, Narumi hears screaming, goes to check it out, and, you know, comes across the harrowing scene. Her mom is holding, like, a box cutter and going ham. And, well, what do you know? She keeps ripping and ripping and ripping, and we do get to two-year-old Ravi. Her face is there, and it's one of the panels that Ito was working on during the documentary. Um, And it was one of the panels that made me very uncomfortable because they would comment on, oh, you know, the child's face... It looks so pretty, you can barely believe that it's the face of a two-year-old. I'm not the one who made it sound oh, weird. No, I don't, yeah, yeah, I, it was Okay, you know, like, I was yeah. I was fine with the weird horror, but then when we start, like, yeah. talking about literal children being pretty, that, that does make I didn't me uncomfortable. Like that. <laughs> I didn't like that. They commented, like... Ito didn't really, he just said, oh, yeah, you know, like, I make the eyelashes dense, maybe that's why. And he was just commenting on it from an artistic perspective, like the way that he highlights the eyes, the way that he draws the eyelashes. But yeah, the documentary sort of kept wanting to go back into, oh, you can barely believe this is a two-year-old. It doesn't even look like a two-year-old. But it does. Like, it, it looks like the face of a child. It does look like the face of a child. Like, I don't know what they were fucking talking about. Um, I thought so the I don't horrific... know who they need to look into whoever was making the documentary. Yeah. Obviously, it's not Junji like Ito that. in this situation, but like, let's not sexualize young children ever, ever. Exactly. <laughs> it's gross. It could That's, be a problem like... with translation because this wasn't officially translated, by the way. Um, it's a fan translation. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, but. Um, it was it was pretty uncomfortable. Like I didn't like sitting through that. Yeah, no, I'm um, I'm fine with the horror aspect, but that that yeah yeah that part I get it. gets me. I get it, <laughs> I, and I get why. So um, the scene is horrific. We see like the mom at this point. She only reveals the head. So the body is still that of an adult, but the head is that of 
the child. And um, the panel that we get is the child's face and she's surrounded by the layers, um, the basically torn off layers of the adult Raimi. Um, and I think that's what Ito again means when he says that he tries to contrast um, beautiful characters with horrific scenes. I'm not talking about the child's face. I'm talking about the ripped up layers because he puts so much detail into them. You would think that, oh, these are like Mm -hmm. discarded pieces, so he's just going to rush over them. No, he puts so much detail into every discarded layer. So it looks like a completely human face and the shading and the hair. And it's just it's just really pretty and it makes it all the more horrifying. So anyway, the mom is mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, I've ripped up the face. Now I need to, you know, free my baby completely. So she asks Narumi to help her continue peeling um, the rest of the body. And they do. And... Um, you get like a potato peel? Okay, no. Yeah, like, it, it, I, they peel so- her like a potato. <laughs> They do. Um, I, I have to admit, like, the, the weird symbolism that happens in, like, some of the horror stories you tell, like, with Kafka or Junji Ito. Like, yeah. it, it makes sense to me. My mind works that way. My mind works in, like, weird symbols. And so, like, you start talking about this kind of stuff. I'm like, oh, yeah, of course. They, like, get out the potato pillar and find <laughs> the child inside. Um, I love that. It's, I love it's, the way that you put it. It's the real human. <laughs> it's the real <laughs> human the horror that inside. gets me. <laughs> yeah. Yes. How yeah. is that odd? I don't know. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, but Junji Ito says that back to him wanting to make things as realistic as possible. Um, he says that when he tried to picture it, he's like, okay, so the child is still in there, but obviously the child is in the body of an adult. So you can't have a child's body inside an adult, right? The face was preserved, but the rest of the body was stretched out to accommodate the growing adult body. Does that make sense? Hmm. So, so like, you get, so the face. Yeah. No, yeah, go ahead. No, like the face Explain is preserved. It. The face is preserved, okay. but the rest of the child body was stretched out. So you get this very grotesque elongated Mm -hmm. like limbs and like shriveled up skinny abdomen it's like horrific it's abnormal it's not a child it's a child's body that has been stretched you know to fit inside the yeah like i said to fit inside the body of an adult so both of them are horrified and they're like literally what the fuck um so what what narumi explains it she says her insides expanded as she grew up it makes sense if you think about it her hands feet arms and legs as she grew they all stretched away from the center um and basically i mean that makes sense but then like why couldn't the doctor find those things like her innards when he was doing his scans Uh, there are no innards um like you mean like her it's it's her form it's still skin there's no bone there's no body there's nothing it's just the layers that make up her body okay then that i guess that's where i'm having trouble then because like if it's just layers and you peel back to the layers what has expanded inside of her if she doesn't have organs and skeletons and all of that what is stretched out on the inside the core layer i think like the core layer her body when she was a baby or like an infant or whatever that's what's stretched out 
Okay. Like imagine. So there's okay, a imagine, core layer inside. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I would say okay. like imagine a child, and you want that child like. It's not the way that we grow up as adults, like the way that our bones expand and our, you know, our cells multiply and that it's just like putting something through a freaking taffy roller. <laughs> Pulling them. Yeah, that, that's, it's that's a stretcher, what it looks A taffy like. stretcher. Yeah, yeah. A taffy stretcher. Yeah. So okay. um, the mom. Hmm? I said, OK. Yeah. The mom goes through a nervous breakdown. She takes the box cutter and she's like, I want to be youthful too. So obviously the curse has affected me as a member of the family. And if I peel off my face, then I'm going to reveal like a youthful face underneath. Can you guess the plot twist? And it doesn't happen. Yeah, no, she's normal. And she just peels her face off. She peels her (laughs) face off. And we get a very grotesque, um, anatomically accurate, I would say, um, <laughs> Depic- like, yeah, depiction, depiction of an yeah. adult woman it's, without her face. A, a woman without yeah. her face. He gets the orbicularis oris and oculi. Beautiful anatomical depiction. And he uses an, um, an anatomy reference for it. Like I said, I think it was Rohan's color atlas of anatomy, but I'm okay. not sure. Can, okay, can I just um, point yes. out a... a thing that I'm I'm kind of seeing here. Um, so when you have these like super toxic parents that try and live life through their children and like mm-hmm. really torture their children to get like their second chance at life, like, the, you know, you, you look at like the really toxic parents that like put their small children through beauty pageants in like the yeah. worst possible way, like and yeah. tell them like, oh, you have to be beautiful or mommy's going to hate you or, you know, like whatever. Yeah. Um, I think like there is always um, and and I don't want people to think like oh if you put your kid in a beauty pageant you're a terrible person I'm I'm talking about the ones who are like super toxic about it you know yeah yeah, (laughs) that like um the narcissist. Torture their children and all of the, yeah, the, the narcissists and you know like what has been done with Raimi um I think like there's always this desire for um, the parents in that kind of situation to say like, oh, well, whatever special thing I saw in my child is now part of me. Like I have like become part of that glorious um, success and beauty and, you know, whatever. Um, When the truth is like they they don't um, become part of what made their kids special. You know, they're just the monster trying to behind them forcing them on you know yeah um yeah. And, and so like she she's like i uh clearly my daughter is special and she had something special happening you know with her and so i have become special because of that um but it's not the case like you're still what you are you know it was so you know, it, it kind of comes back to like you need to want success for your children for them for them to yeah. become like you know the the special one yeah. and, and not um like there needs to be a selfless aspect to it yeah because you're not yeah, going sure. to become the special one you know like you you can't live vicariously through the child and and That's true. just absorb the specialness <laughs> i don't yeah. know if i'm explaining it that you are in, in a you way are. that makes sense but it's like, um um if you want your child to you you should want your child to succeed 
your goal shouldn't be mm-hmm. that you want to live through your child. Like, for example, um, let's say you want your child to attend sports, you know, it should be because you think that they have a future in sports. And I think the key here is there should because I'm and not also a parent. hopefully that they want to do. Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> hopefully I'm you're not, not parent, also so pushing them comment. beyond what they want to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So it's like because you you need to push kids, you know, you do need to push them as someone who has seen kids um, and who was once a child um, you do need to push them but you need to know how much to push them like if it's uh, literally I read this story I don't know if it's true or not I mean it's reddit you know about a mom who mm-hmm. would literally enroll I keep saying literally who enrolled her kid into um, extracurricular activities so every single day the kids would come home go from school straight to extracurriculars and then come home and then do their homework and go to bed so they had no time to play no time to be kids and the mom thought that she was doing a good thing because you know she wants her kids to succeed but that's obviously not healthy and it happens to a lot of kids who are shoved into Uh sports or music or art their parents either even the ones who aren't vicariously living through their kids the ones who think that they are creating the kids's future they end up causing them such like trauma and trauma they they, exactly they lose out on so much of their childhood and i'm the kind of person who's like yeah we should teach kids responsibility and we should teach them that like you know you get time to rest and you get time to play and you get time to enjoy yourself but you also need to do more for your future but yeah it's Mm -hmm. it's about the balance it's a very tricky balance and like you said it depends on what your end goal is is are you just doing it because you didn't get to do it when you were a kid and you're living through your kid or are you doing it because you want your kid to actually be something when they grow up so Mm -hmm. yeah i get you yeah anyway yeah um so um the mom discovers that she's human after all there is no curse sucks to be you butch (laughs) um and then narumi now that she's realized that her entire family is batshit fucking crazy decides to go to the university her dad's old university and asks them for the skull but they say that unfortunately the skull went missing a year after her father's death they reported it to the police but nothing has come of it they couldn't find the skull uh narumi then says that since this happened, since, you know, the incident with Raimi and her mom happened, her mom has shut herself into the room that, you know, Raimi was in where she peeled her daughter like a fucking potato and then peeled off her own face. Mm. Um, and since then, uh, Narumi has begun to grow layers again. But her appearance doesn't resemble what she used to look like at all. She doesn't look like a human um and the last panel basically says yep it seems like once you peel off her skin it doesn't grow back the same way and we're left with this grotesque silhouette um of a creature that we can't see its face we can just see that it's very grotesque with spindly fingers and like you know twisted gnarled Mm -hmm. limbs and um, the mom is sitting in the corner with her face completely bandaged up and the creature that was once Raimi saying, Mama, carry me. So there is nothing more terrifying to me than horror kids. Like children in horror, in horror fiction <laughs> just fuck me up. Don't. I don't. No. Please. 
don't do this. Well, and I, I do think it, it speaks about like going back to what we were talking about earlier, how um, toxic parenting, like trying to force your kids to be a certain thing or trying to get them to be your kid forever or whatever. Yeah. Um, does kind of ruin the kid like and you know like to step away from the story you can recover from that i would recommend therapy but um but you know like it 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 is just kind of i think a lot about toxic parenting and how it ruins everyone involved you know and um i don't know like when you have like yeah oh go Go ahead. ahead No, I was going to say more from like the whole Junji Ito aspect of it is that he does mention in a couple of interviews of his is that his main goal is to scare the reader by putting them through deranged experiences. He's not looking to... um, And I know this is going to upset you because you really like stories with a deeper meaning, and I get that. Um, But he says, I'm not particularly looking to make you think when I draw. So a lot Mm -hmm. of people have tried to analyze his work. Someone even brought up that one of his stories might... um, might have Marxist theory stitched into it, but he completely debunked that and was like, it was just because a politician who was into Marxist theory read my story and decided that's what it means, but that's not really what I wanted it to say. So it's difficult. And and the reason I mentioned this, why it's difficult to gain meaning from his stories is um, because Junji Ito's stories are very rarely character driven. Um, his characters mainly act as, um, like most of his characters, if you read his works, they lack personality, they lack depth, um, they, a lot of them lack emotion. Um, and this isn't me like shitting on his stories at all. It's, it's actually, um, part of his art is that the characters serve as our eyes to the world and the bizarre happenings. They're usually helpless to change what's going to happen to them and, most of the time, not in the case of this story, they're not really the causes for what happens to them. They're merely observers and they help us see. And the re- he does this intentionally because he wants us to experience horror more closely than writers that use fully fledged characters. Like, let's say, you know, I'm Stephen King, you know, um, if you read slash watched it. The characters have very rich backgrounds, rich fears, um, but that helps you emotionally connect to the character. It's a character-driven story. It's going to separate you from the horror. You're horrified when the character is horrified and you're not when they're not, if that makes sense. But what Ito does Mm -hmm. by using the character simply as um, a vessel, like they're just our eyes, you know? through like the towns Mm -hmm. and the crazy shit that happens there um is that he Mm -hmm. brings us closer to the horror we're not distracted by the characters we don't give a shit about their backgrounds or their emotions or their um plans all we want to do is focus on the bizarre so and the reason i mentioned that is um uh, like i i just mentioned it in case um in case he didn't intend for us to think that this was necessarily about toxic parents. It could be, and it's a very good point, the one that you were making. Um, but yeah, I just thought I would well, slip and that in there. I think like, um, in there. He, here's the thing, like, uh, mm. 
no matter what Jun- Junji Ito is trying to do, yeah, he is at the end of the day a human experiencing human humanity in in this Fair. world, you know, and um, there's always a degree of the artist that makes it into the art, uh, yeah, and so. Um, I think even at times when you try to separate the human experience from the horror, yeah, uh, there's a part of it that's going to seep in because you can't stop being a human in a yeah. human having a human experience, you know. Um, that's true. And so, like, I think I think um, he may try to do that, but uh, I think like. At the end of the day, the most terrifying thing in our world is us. Yeah. And, and he mentions that. I think he like, does yeah. know that. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, I can see, like, he may want to bring the horror closer to us. Um, but at the same time, we are the horror, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we, we are the horror. And so the the most horrifying thing that he can bring to our awareness is... The nightmares within humanity itself. That's true. Um, and so, you know, like, I I, I don't know. I think um, the things that scare us are the things that show us what we don't want to see within us. Um, yeah. And, and I, what, what you just told me is a great story that does exactly that. Like, it shows us an aspect of humanity that we may not really want to see, um, but yeah. is very much there. Yeah. Because if you think about it, if the mom had left well enough alone and not tried to peel mm-hmm. her fucking daughter's face off, none of this would... Like, yeah, yeah they were suffering through a curse, uh-huh. but things were relatively normal, you know, up until that mm-hmm. point. If the m- mom had not shot the older daughter down and called her fucking ugly and had not obsessed over the younger daughter and tried to peel out the two-year-old, then none of this would have happened. They, they just... You know, they would have lived the rest of their lives, maybe being a tiny bit miserable. I think maybe that is an aspect of it. It's like the characters, we say that if she had done this or if she hadn't done that, then nothing bad would have happened. But that's, again, it ties back into the point. The characters have no control over the horror that will befall them. You know, it's just something Mm -hmm. that's going to happen. And part of it can be human nature um, that, you know, the mom, despite being like she just realized that there is something horribly, horribly wrong happening. And she didn't even take a second to try to comprehend that and what it can mean for her daughter. She was just like, I'm going to take advantage of this. I'm going to peel her (laughs) to get to the, Mm -hmm. yeah. So like, I get what you're saying. I still think it's a very interesting technique of his because, you know, often um, writers, artists, they're usually encouraged to obsess over their characters, like write mini biographies. There was even, I I can't remember exactly which book I tried to look through my books, but um, it was part of the write great fiction series. I think it was the one on characters view and uh, viewpoint by Nancy Cress. But it was basically like that there was this author who rewrote a story like 12 times each time from the perspective of one of the characters just to get a better understanding of them. So writers are encouraged to do that. Um, Even when you do like, you know, stuff like role playing or D&D, everyone's like, keep your character profiles ready and people will write backgrounds and, you know, personality checks and whatever. Um, But here is a writer who's like, no, I'm just going to use my 
characters as cameras. And you can see that more clearly later on when I'm going to, you know, in future episodes where I'll discuss other stories of his. This story, I would say the characters played a larger role than they usually do. Because in other stories like Army of One, like Tomi, they don't really. Like you really get to understand what I mean when I say the characters are very flat and are very just like no one really remembers the characters' names <laughs> for the most part because they're mm-hmm. they're just so unimportant. Um, so, yeah, I thought it was really cool that, um, that he would do yeah, that. And I, I don't know how. Yeah. No. Well, I think it's such a perfect paral- um, parable for toxic parenting that I, I yeah. struggle to think that that would be coincidence. Like, I, it feels very That's intentional true. to me. It does. Um, it does but at the same time, like, to your point, are you attached to the mother as a character or some of these other people as characters? Um, not so much. It's more like you can see them as a symbol for what he's trying to convey. Yeah. Um, and they're very effective in that that aspect. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. So... Yeah, that was our first Junji Ito episode. We hope you enjoyed it. Next time, I don't know when, but at some point we're going to do more Junji Ito episodes because I really like him. Because Crow loves <laughs> Junji Ito. Yep. <laughs> I, I love Junji Ito, but it'll depend. If people don't really you know, like him as a weird fiction author, then maybe we'll postpone the... Um, the episodes till later but I think he's really cool also did you know that he has an entire semi um, autobiographical um, manga series about him and his cats he has two cats one of them is called Jan and the other one is called Moo and Moo is a Norwegian forest cat and he kind of looks exactly like my fucking cat who is not a Norwegian uh, forest cat but you know he's also pretty floofy and has the same uh, fur pattern he is pretty floofy so fucking cute he loves cats. That's why they when, when little tabby. Um, when they start the um, the documentary, um, they walk in on Junji Ito playing with the cats. Like he doesn't even notice them coming Aww. in, and all of the cats are next to him, and they're like, "Wow, there's an <laughs> army of cats!" And he's like, "Yeah, because I got them treats." He's adorable. Like just oh. the perfect contrast of yeah. someone who writes the most fucked up shit, but is really adorable in real life. I like that. I love that. I love that for him. I love that too. I hope he always has wonderful, friendly cats around him. Yes. (laughs) That don't try to eat him like his manga implies. (laughs) So, thanks so much for tuning into my rambles on Junji Ito. I have gotten like one, I don't know, one sixteenth let's actually actually like make a huge leap one billionth of you know the Junji Ito stories out of my system uh we'll see mm-hmm. we'll see what happens during like later episodes whether I, think I get there will over be the more yes I don't think you will I don't I, I've known you for a long time and there's always been this Junji Ito thing yes so <laughs> I don't see it going anywhere <laughs> I mean I'm still not over Attack on Titan so and it's been how that's true we've been friends for a while and yeah yeah it's not it's not going like, away as long as i've known yeah as long as i've known you 
Yes. It's been about Irwin and Attack it's, on Titan. It's been about Irwin for Attack on Titan. And now it's about, like, it's not like he, he's still there in my subconscious. But now we also have Jinji. Yeah, Ito, no, he hasn't gone anywhere. Yeah, he, he's, he's not going anywhere anymore, anytime soon. Crows, yeah, two boys. Crow- <laughs> Thank you so much Crows for tuning two loves, in. Jinji Ito. Go ahead. Let, get it out Irwin. of your system. I'm just, I'm just this close to being like Crow and Jinjito plus Irwin sitting in a tree. Please what a happy stop. threesome they would be! It's, oh my gosh, she wrote an, a new poem for children to sing out on the street. I don't want this to be what I'm known for. Maybe my obsession with Irwin is to like, okay, I can be known for that because I'm not the only person. He was the most. Po- you know, I'm not gonna go on a, I'm not gonna go on a rant and Irwin rant right I, now. I was gonna say, there's have a there's at least one other person out there i'm sure (laughs) (laughs) have a wonderful morning afternoon evening wherever you are and remember um if you have any concerns about the aging process visit your dermatologist rather than take a cutter a box cutter to your face to reveal the layers of your younger self that's not always the case. It's reserved for only people who have been cursed by their um, anthropologist, geologist, archaeologist fathers um, who managed to curse Stage the entire advice. family line. Okay, this is Crow <laughs> and this is Fern signing off. Bye. <laughs>